Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the podcast. I am excited to be joined once again by Amy Marshall, frequent guest of the podcast. Welcome back, Amy. I thought it was probably a good time for you and I to get together again. We've got it being mid-December as we're recording this, a look-ahead article. It's our annual look-ahead article where we look at topics that are of EHS and digital and ESG interest that we think are strategic and folks should consider moving into the new year. I believe we're going to go with 20 topics this year for the 20th anniversary of the company. So that's exciting. And we're going to do a series of episodes here, really just looking at some of these topics that if you're a reader of our For the Record, you will end up seeing in that look ahead. And let's start with air because, Amy, you've already been on. We did our first episode of this podcast, I don't know, maybe 11 months ago, 12 months ago before the election and looked ahead to the EPA administration and some of the activity. Been a few months since we checked in on air activity and gave folks some practical advice on what to do looking forward, how to address some of these things. So let's get right into it. And I'm just going to take one topic at a time if there's there might be a topic or two that we talk about a little bit more than the others. But Amy, let's let's get going. Let's talk about new source review and permitting and reforms. That's always a topic of interest for us. Capital planning is going on for next year. What's the latest you've heard on reforms and how they might be shaping up? And is there any kind of different advice we can give folks four months removed from the last time we talked? Yep. So I think we talked about last time the EPA got instructions in Executive Order 13990 to look at a lot of things that were done in the last administration. Since then, they they responded to a petition asking them to reconsider and revoke the project emissions accounting rule and memo. Um, They did deny that petition. However, they are re-looking at that rule I haven't heard that they're going to unwind the rule or revoke the rule, but I think there probably are some issues that they're considering around kind of how to define a project such that you are taking increases and decreases that are related to a project. And then how do you ensure that those decreases that you claim in your project emissions accounting actually happen? So decreases are treated a little bit differently in project emissions accounting are step one uh, than they are in, you know, full step two netting. I've heard that they're also looking at a couple of the memos that we liked. So Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator at the time, put forward a memo on projected actual emissions. So I think in the next couple of months, we'll see them decide whether or not that's still the current uh, policy of the administration. And then I don't think we'll see anything new per se of a broad nature. They're not working on that draft begin actual construction memo that we had kind of at the end of the previous administration. So I think they've got a couple things that they're looking at, but 
probably not really starting anything new. And Amy, I know we're seeing, looking at projects and getting some reviews from EPA. It's not really a surprise when the administration changes like it did. Interpretations of some of the existing provisions can certainly tend to change. So there's probably a common theme here of understanding from the state agency that you're working with, what maybe comments they've received from EPA, you know, how we need to be going about. I think that's just a common theme maybe moving through this is that a conversation early on with your agency and is a good idea if interpretations from the federal level are changing. Right. And I think a theme in the last administration was cooperative federalism, like EPA, leave it to the states to run their own Mm -hmm. programs. And I think, you know, in this administration, we're seeing a little bit of a reversal of that. One of the things that they're thinking about is whether the, the state's minor NSR programs are sufficient with respect to the amount of review that the public and EPA get. Some of the you know, states are asking for EPA to help them in their review of minor NSR applications because they're not sure if the, you know, the emissions calculations, the PSD applicability, the excludable emissions, the projected actual emissions are, you know, in line with current interpretations. I think we've got a little bit uh, as Title V permits are being renewed of the regions relooking at how CAM is in the permit even. So I think with permit renewals, you know, I th- we'll probably get to EJ at some point, but I don't think you could talk about permitting without talking about EJ right now. I think a lot of the states, you know, may get comments from an EJ lens as they are renewing permits. And so, you know, they may be looking at sort of even outside of CAM, enhancing some monitoring and other compliance requirements. Got it. That makes sense. Let's move from permitting to a next natural topic because they are oftentimes related, ambient standards. Let's start with PM 2.5. A couple of episodes ago, Rich Hamill and Dan Dix joined me. We talked a lot about the updated integrated science assessment that had come out and some of the activity there and the PM two and a half precursor guidance. That was probably four to six weeks ago. We talked a little bit about what folks should be thinking about there, but anything new, Amy, on PM two and a half or just any other insight you have about where the process stands now, how folks should be out there in the space looking at it and planning ahead for projects. Yeah, I mean, EPA has come out with their, you know, the draft policy assessment that kind of signals again that, you know, they they are thinking about lowering the standard. They've they've repaneled the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee. There, I mean, a, a, there's a special panel that's going to be looking at both the, you know, the PM two and a half standard and the ozone standard. I imagine this CASAC may have different recommendations than the last one. But we'll we'll definitely see a proposal in 2022 and a final in 2023. And so if you look at the background in your area and think about how much room, if you will, your facility needs, if you were to model your facility between a background and a standard, that might prompt you to do things now rather than waiting to after the, you know, the standard is lowered. And modeling against PM 2.5 direct is becoming, seems to be becoming a little bit more fashionable. I mean, PSD is one way you would 
you would model. But then there's also EJ, there's, you know, Title V renewal modeling that may become more widespread and things like that. I just think maybe more opportunities to encounter that type of modeling. Yeah. And I think it's going to prompt people to get better emissions data because, you know, we don't have PM two and a half, you know, good data on every source. And so a lot of times we've made conservative assumptions in the past if if it hasn't Mm -hmm. been a problem. And so I think if we get a lower standard and you're going to have to model your facility, you're probably going to have to go get some better or less conservative data than you've used in the past. And I'm looking at this PM 2.5 background map and you've got big chunks of the Southeast and Mid-South or seven to 10. Then you've got a swath of the country in the, in the uh, upper plains. That's a little better Then you have the West coast. That's, already in non-attainment. You have New England that looks okay. So there's a mix. I mean, there's a mix of things here, but certainly big chunks of the country, seven micrograms on an annual basis or higher. So you take a standard of eight to 10 and that's getting pretty tight. Yep. Amy, air toxics. There were a couple of things, Air, very broad category, but I think there were a couple of tidbits you and I had talked about that might be worth mentioning that are just sort of interesting. So I'll let you talk about some of those. Yeah, there are some activities going on for specific sectors that we've given some updates on in the last few months. But I think the one interesting thing um, that might be a little bit under folks' radar is EPA is for the first time going to add a hazardous air pollutant to the HAP list. And so it's a it's a solvent called one bromopropane, which has, you know, it's limited in the number of facilities or industries that it will affect. But the thing that they're doing at the same time is they're going to propose this kind of infrastructure rule that will lay out when EPA adds a hazardous air pollutant to the list, what are the different obligations and timing of facilities? So if right now you're an area source, but as EPA adds a HAP to the list, it, it kicks you into major source status, okay, was there a MACT regulation that you should have been complying with? You've now missed, you know, deadlines for notifications. Okay, what what do we do with respect to, you know, setting the timeline for things that happen or or when you can take limits or reduce your emissions? So it's kind of a whole big set of questions that EPA is going to answer in this rule that they're going to work on and uh, get out in 2022. Amy, how about SSM? Probably not a whole lot to cover there, but this has been one of those seesaw topics that a couple EPA administrations ago, there was, I think in the high 30s, number of states where EPA said, hey, your state implementation plan has has startup shutdown and malfunction emissions exemptions in it that, that shouldn't be there. So please revise your SIP and remove those exemptions. Then the previous administration dropped it. Now it's back again, and states are going to have to act on this. Any comments on this? How should people be thinking? It's been around for so long. I think it tends to fly under the radar and we're starting to tune it out a bit, but what does it really mean? What should folks understand about this? So I think the approach to this is going to be different state by state. So you know, the, the 2015 startup shutdown malfunction SIP call is back in effect EPA has 32 pending SIP submissions from five years ago that they will need to get back to reviewing and acting on. And then they're likely to submit about 12 
uh, findings of failure to submit. So, you know, states kind of took different approaches. Some of them might have said, okay, the standard applies at all times. If you have an excess emission during startup shutdown malfunction, that's your, it's a violation. It's excess emissions. Um, some states actually put in work practices for certain rules or um, a lot of times the SSM provisions applied just to the SIP standards, not to a MAC standard. So they might've said, okay, if you have a source similar to a MAC standard that has work practices for SSM, you know, follow that. So I think it's going to be different state by state, you know, EPA will propose to revoke their action that they took for Texas, North Carolina, and Iowa. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the comments submitted on that. Um, I'm sure those states feel like their SIPs are protective of the NACs. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think it's going to be probably a little bit different state by state and, and something to watch for. Amy, how about environmental justice? Let's talk about that. We mentioned it earlier. My sense is, is that State agencies might still be awaiting guidance from EPA on exactly how they need to proceed. We, we had a conference a couple of months ago where we have a state agency panel, and it's always very helpful. And, the, and the, the agencies are real gracious and walking through the hot topics of the day. And the attendees were very interested to hear about environmental justice. And the state agency panelists were said, well, I get that you're interested, but the fact of it is, is, you know, there's there's just not a lot of federal guidance or meat on the bone out there for us to do anything with. So we continue to situationally address public comments and things like that that come up through the permit process and make sure all the stakeholders are getting together. I do see some some information about the tools being updated. So I'm curious about that to see you know, what your perspective is maybe on some of these new tools. Is there anything new that folks should be aware of? around EJ. Yep. Of course, at the beginning of the year, we saw EJ and climate kind of embedded together in a lot of the executive orders. We had a promise of a a new kind of EJ data mapping tool by the end of the year. And that's the end of the year and we haven't seen it yet. Um, But we have heard some updates about how they're, you know, kind of improving and updating a lot of the data that goes into the tool you know, it's a possibility that they they design it sort of like California's tool where you get a score for your facility. We did see lately EPA putting out in their draft strategic plan how, you know, goal number one was tackle climate and goal number two is take action to advance EJ and civil rights. So I think the message is getting down to everybody doing anything in any agency that you have to consider environmental justice. And even before we have an environmental justice rule or policy or whatever from the federal level, they are using kind of the Civil Rights Act and um, different sections of the Clean Air Act to, you know, come in and object to permits that they don't think um, had EJ considered enough. So, Amy, I'm seeing a lot over the past couple of months at conferences and events, there's there's starting to be more presentations and I like them. They're interesting from facilities about their community outreach efforts and the different things that they're doing to educate their neighbors and things like that. And I know that we talk to state agencies that then encourage that. That's something we've recommended in the past around EJ just as a way to 
be connected to all the appropriate stakeholders in the process. So I bring that up again as something to consider, something to think about for 2022. I don't know if you've seen anything, Amy, working with folks that's been of interest around that or or things that uh, different companies have done. Yeah, here in North Carolina, they're EJ policy with respect to permitting is around enhanced outreach. And so um, the North Carolina Division of Air Quality actually has it on their website that they expect enhanced outreach for certain types of applications, like any new kind of PSD greenfield facility, any anything, you know, on a topic that's kind of controversial. And, and the DAQ has given presentations and they said, you know, we can do this or you could do this, but if we do this, it's going to, you know, extend your timeline. You, you guys really need to get involved in the community and talk to them and understand what their issues are and make sure they understand, you know, what your project you want to do is because it's not good when you submit a permit application and the community gets surprised because the first time they hear about it is us, you know, posting a notice or having a hearing. Amy, some key themes, some of them I heard here, some of them, I think we actually covered most of these, but I was just wondering if you would expand on these or let me know if I'm missing anything, but the community outreach we just talked about, you had mentioned data before. So confidence in reporting, PM two and a half data potentially being a focus, thinking about strategic projects and how how the PM two and a half NACs might influence those and how those might need to look. And then the general assumption that nothing is routine. There's enough comments on applications and things like that that are going on, even for routine operating permit applications. And we're talking about things outside of air too. This can really apply to any media, but that assumption that nothing is routine and having a conversation with the agency before we do just about anything and really just making that a point of emphasis for your environmental team is something that uh, I know we've been given that advice a lot, but is there anything else you might add to that list or any other sort of, you know, maybe miscellaneous air topics that we miss that, that folks might want to know about for 2022? Um, I guess really the only other point that I would make with respect to data is not, not just PM two and a half, because you're, you know, if you're, company is, you know, starting to participate in any climate or ESG reporting, you really need to have confidence in all your data. I know you did a podcast on, you know, digital solutions um, and, you know, how you're collecting and managing and, and organizing your data. But yeah, just planning for things a little further in advance because it might not be as easy as it was, or it might not take the same path as you're used to because of all these new considerations. That's a good point on data, Amy, because one thing, and I'm not sure you and I have talked about it on a podcast, but the air toxics inventory, I know EPA is looking at that now annually. That used to be something I think was on a three-year cycle. And that seems to go hand in hand with the focus that EPA, even really the last administration was putting on looking at things like TRI comparing, you know, saying, hey, you know, we've got a waste being accepted at this facility, but not being reported as leaving this facility, just little things like that. So I think air toxics is another one. So no matter what pollutant you look at, there's some different angle on it or some different thing that's going on. And the common thread in all of them is EPA is looking at it and there's just 
generally more information available out there in the space that could be misconstrued, misinterpreted, all those things. So that's a good point. Amy, what else? Anything else on the air side that we didn't talk about at all that we want to make sure that we say while the calendar still says 2021 or did we cover it pretty well? Um, I guess we didn't talk very much about greenhouse gas or climate. Yep. Um, that's the other, along with environmental justice, that's the other hot topic right now. You know, EPA is right now working on oil and gas, aircraft, automobiles, uh, electric generating industry, looking at those greenhouse gas standards. Um, they did just update the refrigerant rule to focus on not just ozone depleting substances, but substances with high global warming potential. There has been a petition to regulate methane as a VOC, so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. And of course, we've got you know the overall goal to have a carbon-free power sector by 2035 and then net zero by 2050. So you know, we've got folks that could help evaluate any kind of either carbon reduction projects or um, if you're buying offsets, whether, you know, what you're looking at is real, you know, energy considerations, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of the remaking of the electric grid with the climate concerns. And from a regulatory perspective, sounds like certain sectors being considered for regulation right now. So even if you're not from a pure regulatory perspective, if you're not in one of those sectors, paying attention to them and what happens certainly seems like a good idea as that expands and as EPA maybe prioritizes some different sectors. Yep. I think a lot of people are interested in how this oil and gas methane rule turns out as kind of a a precedent for what could happen in other kind of carbon intensive sectors. Amy, thanks for the time. I'm sure we'll reconvene maybe, I don't know, end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter to check back in on air activity. Look for more episodes early in the year with some other look ahead type topics and just general check-ins in some of the other EHS, digital solutions topics, ESG topics, and also look for those in that look ahead article as well. Wealth of information in there. Thanks everybody for joining us. Hope everybody has a great holiday. Happy holidays. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company. 